0: Oh, yeah. Hey, right. <laughs> welcome to the CXM Experience. As usual, I am Grad Khan, Chief Experience Officer at Sprinkler. And we're here talking about experience because experience is the new brand. And today we got a special show, kind of a fun show. I'm going to go uh, a little bit of history today, as usual, and a little bit of recent history. This is not as usual. And a little bit of for. Shadowing. So, um, I'm going to talk about elevators. So, uh, I'm actually going to talk about Otis elevators very specifically. And uh, I'm going to do a little bit of history on Otis elevators, which um, uh, I think you'll enjoy. And, uh, you know, elevators is something that we all use, although not as much recently, but we all use elevators. Uh, We've all been in many, many elevators. But do we really know the story of elevators? And this all has to do with where we want to go in CXM or customer experience management. But let me let me start with a bit of a history about the Otis Elevator Company. So uh, Otis Elevator started in 1852 when Elisha Otis invented the safety elevator. And at, that's a, the safety elevator's idea was that it would automatically come to a halt if the hoisting rope broke. And uh, he demonstrated it at the 1854 New York World's Fair and essentially, the elevator industry established credibility immediately uh, after that. I'm just, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine the pre-safety elevator era where when hoisting ropes broke, the elevator plunged everyone to their death at the bottom of the shaft. I can, I can see where that would have potentially created some angst amongst folks about taking elevators, but certainly Otis did an awesome job of creating confidence in elevators because we've all been in probably thousands of elevators in our life. And with some exceptions, but very rare, uh, people don't worry about it. They get in the elevator, they press a button, they get out of the elevator, don't even think about it. Otis has uh, obviously continued on and become a a great company. It was, for a while, owned by United Technologies, but it's actually its own company now, and uh, it's been sort of independent sort of through 2020, just as the pandemic kind of burst on the scene. Otis actually went private, which is kind of interesting. And they've installed elevators in some of the world's most famous structures, including the Eiffel Tower, the Empire State Building, Uh, the twilight zone tower of terror, uh, at Disneyland and at Walt Disney world, my favorite places, uh, the Petronas twin towers, uh, the CN tower. That's an amazing elevator ride. Uh, if you've never been there, you've got to go to the Winchester mystery house, craziest place ever. And the, um, Skylon tower, uh, at Niagara falls, which is again, another amazing place. One cool, fun fact about, um, uh, about Otis Elevator is that their office, their uh, headquarters, is in Farmington, Connecticut. And uh, uh, there are no elevators in their headquarters. <laughs> it's a two-story building. Uh, so um, so I, I, I don't know. There's something very poetic about that. I think if I was Otis, I think I would have built a very skinny 25,000-story building to demonstrate my elevators. But, um, you know, it's always hard to... It's always hard to drink your own champagne or eat your own dog food. So uh, Otis Elevator. So why am I talking about Otis Elevator? So uh, I actually worked with Otis very closely a couple of years ago. As CMO at Microsoft US, I took a side job as the uh, BG lead or the business group lead for Dynamics and did that job for about uh, six months. It was a gruesome period of my life because I was essentially going full speed on two jobs. And um, but you know I learned a lot of interesting things about Dynamics and Dynamics and the Microsoft Cloud formed a really interesting relationship with Otis. Basically, they've got your sort of you know millions of different products uh, that they have, and you know hundreds of thousands of elevators out there. And one of the things that's really cool about Otis is that they have uh, sensors that they can install in the elevators, and so they did a contract with uh, Microsoft Dynamics. And we created a, um, a very interesting sort of model where they have uh, 2 million units under contract at Otis. And they have 30,000 mechanics. And they were at the time spending approximately 60 million hours servicing elevators and escalator equipment um, around the world on a global basis uh, annually. Now, the problem. Uh, generally with elevator maintenance and service, is that uh, an elevator breaks down, uh, the service person is called, they come to see the elevator, they figure out what the problem is, that takes a week or two, then um, they order the parts to fix that, um, that takes a week or two, then they come back and they fix it, and that takes you know a week or two. And so anywhere between three to six weeks, an elevator can be out of service, which is significantly disadvantageous in a building with one elevator and, and still quite problematic even in multi-elevator buildings because you're losing a fairly significant percentage of your capacity. And so what Otis did is they went to an IOT model, an Internet of Things model, and they uh, started installing sensors in all of their elevators. Uh, and when, you, when I say all their elevators, you have to understand that you know, there's some very old elevators in the Otis Stable. For example, uh, in New York City, uh, 210 Riverside Drive, um, there's a, it says the oldest continuously operating elevators in the United States. Um, it's still operated by uh, a door person. Uh, it was actually in the You've Got Mail movie, if, you, if you've seen that movie. Uh, and the elevator began operating in 1910. Uh, And it's in a 12-story residential apartment complex. Uh, At 171 Genesee Street in Utica, New York, there's uh, another elevator which uh, has been also manually operated. Uh, The first passenger rode on that elevator in 1917. And uh, in the foundation building on East 7th Street, it's it's the oldest elevator shaft. But at the time the building was built, they had not actually invented elevators. They just knew they were coming. So the shaft is very old. Um, but the building, you know, put elevators in and replaced them. So the first elevator was steam powered, um, and then the new one was um, an electrical one in 1890, and then that was replaced in 1972 with a, a, a new elevator. But that's that's a pretty pretty old building. But the the core of this is that even though super duper old, you know, more than 100 year old elevators uh, need a New York City elevator inspection certificate before you can ride on it. And Otis has got to keep all that running. Plus, you, you can imagine hundreds of thousands of elevators across many generations and many decades through the 20th century and, and beyond. So how do, you, how do you manage that? So they had been operating on a model of when it breaks to fix it. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but they, uh, they realized it was the better approach. And the IoT approach was install sensors on all the core operating parts of the elevator. And when a sort of the part started to vibrate or change its motion in a significant way, uh, that IoT sensor would send an alert through Microsoft Dynamics to a central dispatch center. And they would be able to see, A, that an elevator was entering distress but had not stopped working, but the part was beginning to fail. Number two, they would see what the part was. And so what they could do is they could send a service person, to the elevator and fix it before it broke. But what did this do? A bunch of things. One is uh, they spent less time going back and forth, they had more uptime with the elevators, created a higher level of customer satisfaction, and generally ran fewer risks as a company um, because they were staying on top of anything that was going to potentially fail. And this partnership uh, with Microsoft and with Microsoft Dynamics and the Microsoft Azure cloud, um, very important, very cool. We actually announced it in the November, 2017 and uh, Alyssa Taylor and, and uh, Judson Altov uh, talked about it on stage at one of our Dynamics events in Chicago. And uh, it's been a, a great partnership ever since. So why am I talking about elevators? I mean, really do enjoy talking about elevators. They're really cool. And this whole story is a really cool story. But what does it mean for customer experience? Because if you think about it, what Otis is doing is they're creating a, also a great customer experience. Uh, you know, it's a customer experience that is in absence of. So when elevators are working, one doesn't tend to note it. It's just a little bit like, I think that's why it's so tough being in the IT department. Nobody ever calls up the IT team and says, hey, thanks, my email went through. Or, gee, that was really great. I was able to access all my documents in the central folder. No, no one ever says that. Or, gee, my login worked really well. Never happens, right? It's always complaints and issues. Um, so basically what Otis is doing is reducing the incidence of complaints and issues, reducing the incidence of you know waiting longer than you want to, to be able to get to your apartment or to get to your uh, office floor because an elevator is broken. Um, They're reducing the inconvenience. And to a certain extent, they're also decreasing overall risks of the population as a whole. But that's still an awesome way of thinking about customer experience. And the challenge I would sort of put out there to anyone running a SaaS business is don't you already know when something's gone wrong for your customer? Don't you already know when someone is rage-clicking on a button because it's not working? Don't you already know when someone didn't get something in time? Don't you already know when someone has abandoned a cart because the coupon wasn't working? Or don't you know that someone's abandoned a cart because the coupon code isn't there? Like You know these things already. And it's amazing how often people fail to architect their SaaS systems in a way to pre-anticipate or understand what the customer issues would be. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like The expectation of customers today, as they get more educated with you know, better and better service from more and more uh, companies, is that you should know I have a problem before I call you. You should call me. You should tell me that you fixed a problem. You should tell me that you're seeing something happening and you, you can tell that I'm upset. You should be the one in front of that. That's real customer experience management. This idea that we wait until someone complains, and we all know that only one out of 10 dissatisfied people complain. So just waiting for that 10% of the user population to complain and then to do something about it is really backwards, the really the right way to do this is to pre-anticipate and see what everyone's doing, understand the click streams, understand the event streams, and then be able to optimize those event streams in real time so that people, as they're getting frustrated, are having their problems solved for them. It'll create a great customer experience. So they may not thank you, which is a little bit of the drug I think we're all on. They may not even notice that you fixed it, ungratefuls, but they will buy more from you buy more because it worked. It worked well. They got what they needed. That's elevators. That's customer experience. Get in front of your customer. Don't wait for them to call you. For the CXM experience, this is GrabCon, and I'll see you next time.